So my kids have been begging for a backyard pool uh, for the last few weeks, like nonstop. All Erica and I have heard for a few months now is, Dad, we really need to get a pool. Dad, can we please have a pool? Dad, I I think that Kinsman Lake isn't going to open this year. We really need to get a pool. Dad, are are you looking for a pool? Finally, uh, Annika brings to me the laptop, and on there is opened on the Canadian Tire website a picture of a pool that's on a really good sale. So she's kind of figured out how to manipulate that, that cheap Mennonite in her dad, and it worked, okay? The kids, they just wore me down, and finally, a few weeks ago, we got a pool, and we set it up in the backyard. We filled it with water, 15 feet across, four feet deep, and the kids have been loving it in their everyday since. But, but what we, we find, and if you have a pool, you know this, stuff gets in the pool all the time. Now, we've got a bit of a shallow yard. It's surrounded by these beautiful trees, and, and all the time, stuff is falling on these trees into the pool, right? All that fluff that, that floats down into the pool, and, and the leaves of the blossoms from the trees are getting into the pool, and all those sticky things that come off that one type of tree is falling into the pool, and flies and spiders are crawling in there, and they're drowning and dying and sinking to the bottom of the pool. And, and so what you find is all this gunk that just gets in your pool sinks to the bottom, and there's just this layer of, of gunk. And so every couple days, what we have to do is we got to take that net with that big rod, and we got to stir the water. We got to stir the water, and when we stir the water, all that junk that's settled at the bottom comes up and floats to the surface so that we can scoop it off with the net and clean the pool so that it's, it's enjoyable to swim in. And so we got to do that. We got to stir the water every once in a while to get rid of the junk. All right. Good morning, New Life Church. I'm glad that uh, you've joined us this morning. God has a good word uh, for each and every one of us that's going to encourage us. If you're joining us for the very first time online, we're so glad you found us. Maybe you're from the Stonewall uh, area, and when we gather together here again on a Sunday morning, we'd love to have you come, uh, come here and, and experience what happens at New Life Church. Um, we are, as, as the government is loosening restrictions, that's changing all the time. We're trying to re-envision as a church how we can gather together. And so this Wednesday, we're going to have our first worship gathering since quarantine began in mid-March. So Wednesday evening, uh, June 3rd, out on the front lawn of the church, we're having what we're calling WOW, Wednesday Outdoor Worship. is strictly limited to 50 people, so if you want to come out to this, you're going to have to sign up ahead of time by going to our website, the church app. Uh, or if you're not uh, too tech savvy, you could call the church office and we'll sign you up as well. But you've got to sign up in, in advance. But we're going to have a great time of music, singing, uh, some biblical encouragement, some prayer and some fellowship uh, this coming Wednesday. And hopefully we can keep doing that sort of thing going forward. So stay tuned for, for more details as we figure out how we can worship and gather uh, in this strange season. And it is a strange season, isn't it? I wonder how this pandemic has affected you. It's affected every one of us in one way or another to one degree or another. So the Hildebrand family today, May 31st, after the service, the plan was for our van to be packed full. We were going to hop in the van and we were going to drive to Vancouver Island where we were going to holiday for two weeks. I had it all mapped out, Airbnbs, activities. It was going to be great. And of course, we had to cancel all of that. 
which is a really big bummer, and, and maybe you've had to do the same thing. We have a family wedding in North Dakota in July. My sister-in-law is getting married. I'm supposed to be officiating this wedding. My kids, my wife, are all in the wedding party. We're not sure if we're even going to be able to get there. So there's that uncertainty that looms over us. So I wonder for you, how has this pandemic affected you? How's it affected you? For some of you, it's just meant an inability to do some of those things, those hobbies, those activities that you really love to do and you're missing those things or getting together with family or friends and you're just really missing that uh, relationship and that community and that's been hard for you. I mean, some of you watching right now, you've lost work, you've lost income and you're facing financial uncertainty. Some of you, you're concerned about your own physical health, your well-being. Maybe you fall into that kind of vulnerable person category and you're concerned about that. You know, we hear on the news all the time just this health crisis and this financial economic crisis. But underneath all of that is another crisis that's just as real and maybe even more severe. And that's a crisis uh, of fear and anxiety, okay? Uh, 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 An emotional, um, spiritual, mental crisis that, that many of us are facing in this pandemic. Uh, Many of us are lacking peace. We're searching for peace in the face of all of this uncertainty. What I want to talk about this morning is finding peace in the midst of this pandemic. And that's the title of the message. Finding peace in the midst of this pandemic. Um, Today, how to find peace. We're going to look at a scripture That is all about that. Paul writing to the church in Philippi. We find it in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, how to find peace. Uh, We're going to turn there in a moment, but if you don't have your Bible with you, or a notepad, or a pen, or maybe what you need for communion, we're going to take at the end of our service there uh, some bread and a cup with some drink. Why don't you hit pause, go gather those things, and come back and continue, okay? All right, if you have your Bible with you, Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 4 to 9. And and we're going to see three things. That peace is a promise. That peace is a process. And that peace is a person. Peace is a promise. Peace is a process. And peace is a person. All right. Philippians 4 verses 4 to 9. Let's read together. Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we're all looking for, this peace that guards our hearts and our minds. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul here is talking about peace, how to find peace. Now, what is peace? What is peace? When you hear that word and you close your eyes, what picture comes to mind of peace for you? Maybe it's a certain place, you know, the cottage out by the lake or that beach you go to in the winter in Mexico or your couch in your living room, you know, with a quilt and a good book and a big cup of coffee. 
what is your picture of peace? You know, her story of a man who had a little contest, a rich man, of who could, who could best capture peace in a painting. And so all these painters submitted their submissions, paintings representing peace. And the day came for these paintings to be unveiled and judged. Uh, one by one, uh, the, these paintings were presented and all that had gathered to view them clapped and cheered. And finally, there were just two paintings left and, and the judge pulled the cover off of one of them and, and the crowd uh, fell into a hush. It was a picture of a, a mere smooth lake reflected lacy green birches under the soft blush. Not, you, you know, those aren't my words I'm reading. I wouldn't never use those words. Under the soft blush of the evening sky, along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. Surely this was the winner. And then uh, the man who uh, held this contest pulled back the veil on the last painting. And, and when the crowd saw it, they, they, they gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? It was a painting of a tumultuous waterfall that cascaded down a rocky precipice. And the crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. And in the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. One of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters as if foolishly seeking to experience its full power. A little bird had built a nest on the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. Peace. That picture of peace in the midst of trouble and turmoil is, is the biblical picture of peace. When Paul talks about peace, when the Bible talks about peace, it's not talking about this idyllic setting without a care in the world, without any trouble or hardship. It's talking about a confidence and a rest that we can have in our minds and in our hearts in the face of all the troubles around us. Okay? Confidence and rest in God in the face of troubles and trials. That's the biblical picture of peace. And it's the opposite of anxiety and worry. So we want to unpack what this peace is in these verses and how it is we can experience this peace. So if you've got your notebook, right? Number one, peace is a promise. Peace is a promise. What you'll notice here in these verses is that twice, Paul describes peace as a promise, something that will be true. You see that in verse seven, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And then at the end, verse nine, and the God of peace will be with you. This is so important. Paul doesn't command peace. He commands other things in this passage. We'll look at that in a minute. But he never commands peace. He doesn't say have peace. He, he, he promises peace. Okay, to, we'll find out two two people who do certain things but peace is not a command peace is a promise of God that transcends all understanding in other words it's a peace that God promises that we can have when it just doesn't make sense to have peace like peace in a pandemic when we're facing uncertainty financially or with our health or whatever it is peace 
in, in a time when it doesn't make sense. Peace that's beyond comprehension. This is the promise of God. Peace is a promise. Number two, but peace is a process. Peace is a process. Because while God does promise peace, it's not promised to everybody. In this passage, peace is promised to those who go through a certain process. Peace is a byproduct of a process. There's a few commands uh, that, that Paul gives here. We're going to look at four in particular. Four commands that if we do these four things, if we follow kind of this recipe, we will experience a peace that transcends all understanding. So let's look at these four commands that result in peace. So under number two, peace is a promise, uh, write A, and beside that, rejoice through every situation. Rejoice through every situation. This is how he begins in verse four. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. In other words, you need to hear it. Rejoice. This is the first thing he commands. He doesn't command peace, but he does command rejoicing always. Always. In every trial, he says, you ought to rejoice. Now, now that's, Easy to say. Like if if I were to tell you that, if you're going through a really hard thing, you might say, Rusty, you don't know where I've been. You haven't haven't faced the things I'm facing. You've got this good cushy, cushy life. You've never really suffered or faced any severe hardship in your life. Easy for you to say. And if it was just me saying that, that would probably be legitimate. But Paul, when he's writing these words to the Philippians, we find out at the beginning of the letter, he's in jail. Okay, Philippians 1 verse 13, he says, um, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, he's writing this from a prison cell, literally shackled in chains with an uncertain future. And if you know the story of Paul, you know that Paul ends up being executed for his faith. Rejoice always. So, so Paul is in change and he's writing to people who are facing the same thing. Philippians 1 verse 30, he says, um, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle that I had and now hear that I still have. So what he's saying is the same um, trouble and opposition that he's facing, you two are facing, he says. So these people he's writing to are going through hard things, and he says to them, guys, rejoice in your situation, or through your situation. But he doesn't say rejoice always, he says rejoice in the Lord. And I think that those are such key words, help us understand what he's talking about. Rejoice not in your situation, Don't be happy that you're experiencing this hard thing, but rejoice in the Lord in your situation. What does that mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, Paul would say in um, Romans 8, 28, he says, God is working all things for the good of those who love him. In all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working all things, even hard things, even trials and sufferings for your good, Paul says. So I kind of think of myself, uh, and I think of us as like 
that pool that I talked about at the, the beginning. You probably wondered why I shared that with you. Well, it, it's for this reason. I think we're kind of like the pool. You know, we go through life and stuff just gets in the pool, right? As we go through life, bad habits, hang-ups, you know, sins, fears, anxieties, idols, distractions, all these things just kind of fall into our lives as we go through life. And, and the, the, a pandemic, like a hard thing, is, is kind of like the stirring of the waters. The stirring of the waters, which takes all those things that are in us that kind of settle to the bottom, and it brings them back to the surface for us to see. That, 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 that they're there. So, so hard things, this pandemic, is like, it's like the stirring of the water that reveals these things in our life. And then we have to choose, what are we going to do about them? You know, it reveals, um, and, and I don't, I, I wonder what all of this has revealed about you, about your life, about your heart, about your priorities. M- maybe this pandemic and all the ways it's affected us has, has revealed that we have, we have found our joy and put our peace in some things that really can't sustain it. Maybe we've been finding security in some things in which we shouldn't find security. Maybe it's revealed to us that our marriage isn't as good as maybe we thought it was when we were kind of doing our own thing and we kind of manage the problems. But now that we're in this place all the time, it's kind of brought to the surface. Those things that were already there but can kind of lay hidden and unacknowledged, right? Maybe it's brought to the surface the fact that maybe we've been relying as parents on the church or programs to teach our kids and, and, and we need to be more invested in discipling our kids and raising them up spiritually ourselves. Maybe we've been finding our, our security in money and our jobs and, and not in God, in his promises and in his presence. I wonder, what has this revealed? What has it brought to the surface? You're like, because it will have brought something to the surface. That's how God uses hardship, Paul says. God works all of these things for our good to those he has called according to God's purposes for us. And so as Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, um, verse 35 to 37, um, he says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he goes on in verse 37 and says... No, none of these things things can. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through all of these hard things. Have you ever read that and wondered, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? We kind of know what it means to be a conqueror. Like to, to conquer something means to defeat, you know, to defeat the enemy. It means to overcome the obstacle, to triumph over So that's what it means to conquer something. But what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Uh, John Piper, a pastor, writer, uh, said this. He said, a conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror makes the enemy serve his own purposes. A conqueror strikes down his foe. One who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave. So a conqueror overcomes the power of his enemy, but someone who's more than a conqueror actually uses the power of the enemy against it, okay? 
Um, so, so in other words, God not only delivers us from suffering, Paul says, but he also makes our pain and our suffering and our trials serve our purposes, his pur- good purposes for us. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. God is using these things, right, to, to, to do his good work, to fulfill his good purpose in our lives. And uh, I, I think of it like uh, the art of judo. And it might surprise some of you that back when I was a teenager, I, I was into judo. In fact, I got all the way up to a yellow belt, which might impress you if you know nothing about judo and belts. It's like 28 levels below a black belt. If you go to three consecutive uh, practices in a row, they'll just give you a yellow belt. So I remember back when I did judo, there was, uh, there was this little girl. She was younger than me. She was just so petite, weighed half of what I weighed, and I, I was matched up against her, and I thought, piece of cake. Piece of cake. It could take five seconds. Well, it did take five seconds. In five seconds, she had me on the ground in a headlock, and I actually had to tap out, and, and this little thing destroyed me. Um, because judo... Unlike maybe karate or taekwondo or some of these other art forms, judo is is not about raw power. Judo is all about the art of using the power of your opponent against your opponent. Okay? In the the way you do throws and and, and in the way you capitalize on their movements to throw them. And uh, it's it's, it's not really offensive so much as it is, is defensive. Using the power against you, against your opponent. Um, and so this is how this little thing pinned me to the ground. Uh, so, so that's what God is, is saying. That's what, that's what Paul is saying when he says we are more than conquerors. Rejoice in the Lord always because God is using these hard things and he's not just going to deliver us through them, but in them through the stirring of the waters and the things it reveals and how we might respond to those in obedience. God is doing a good thing in us if we are willing to see it and to rejoice in it. So this is the command of Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord in every situation. Rejoice that God is bringing about his good purpose in this difficult thing for you. So in in this season, it would be so easy to whine about all of these things to one another to go on social media and whine about the hardships. But, but what Paul is saying here is not to whine, to worship God in this time, to worship him, to rejoice that God is in control and God is working all these things for our good if we will just see it and receive it. God is in control. Rejoice in that, Paul says. So that's, that's the first command, the first step of this process of finding this peace that transcends understanding. Rejoice in the Lord that he is at work bringing about his good purpose for your life. So that's the R. And what you're going to see in the acronym here is, I'm trying to be clever, it, it makes the word rest. I had to force it a little bit, but... But I think, I think it's worth it, okay? Um, so in this acronym, it's REST, R-E-S-T. Rejoice through every situation. Number B, right? B, right? Express thanksgiving. Express thanksgiving. Paul goes on here in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't be anxious. How do you not be anxious? 
Okay? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. And so Paul here commands thanksgiving. So write, express thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? Giving is, is I, th- I think what he's getting at is that we are to recall what God has done for us in the past. We are to recall God's faithfulness to us. You know, it's so easy when things are hard to just kind of forget what all has happened to us. All the blessings, all the times that God has come through and proved himself faithful. We can just kind of be so focused on this one thing, this one worry, this one hardship. What Paul says is when you come and pray, do it with thanksgiving, recalling what God has done for you in the past, recalling his faithfulness. And this is what you see in the Psalms over and over again. The psalmist, as he's writing, will express um, fear or doubt or just negative emotions. Um, but, But then often will recall how God has come through in the past. You see this in Psalm uh, 77. Where the psalmist says in verse seven, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor on me again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Have you ever asked yourself those questions? We all have. But then he continues and he says, but then I thought... I thought to myself, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High God stretched out his hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty uh, deeds. And then he recounts how God had been faithful to his people and led them out of Exodus through the Red Sea and all the miraculous ways of providing, right? He was just kind of so focused uh, on on all, all his hardships. And then he said, then, then I recalled all that God had done and it changed the way I felt. Okay? It changed my heart and it changed my mind. And I've certainly found this to be true in my life. If I could just think back to the things that God has done, to the way that he has come through in, in amazing ways, how he, how he has never failed me, if I could just r- remind myself of that, it, it, would, it would help give me the ability to find rest and peace in whatever I'm facing. And so Paul says here, express thanksgiving. That's the second thing. Thirdly, Right, C, speak your feelings to God. Number C, or letter C, speak your feelings to God. Paul says there in verse six, don't be anxious about um, anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now we have a few words there that all talk, different words that all talk about praying. So, but with, with prayer and petition, prayer is just a general word for talking to God. Petition is, is more about expressing my needs uh, and desires. And then there's a third word he uses there at the end of verse six when he, when he commands, he says, present your requests to God. Now that word requests is, is a word that describes a very specific detailed request. He says, whatever that is, present that to God. Show that to God. What, what I think Paul is getting at here is we need to speak. We need to be honest with God. We need to actually bring and, and present. We need to speak our feelings to God, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. We, we need to bring it to God. We need, we need to verbalize 
that to him. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we're just really bad at doing this for a number of reasons. Maybe we feel guilty about feeling some of these things. Well, we shouldn't be anxious. We, we shouldn't be worried. We shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be, no one ever stopped being afraid or being anxious by, by just trying to convince themselves to stop being afraid or anxious. That's not how it works. Paul says how it works is you need to be honest. You need to verbalize and speak that to God. And, and sometimes we think that's maybe unspiritual to do that. You know, some of us, maybe we feel like when we come to God here on Sunday morning in the church, we got to put on our Sunday best. We have to present the best of ourselves. And sometimes it maybe it feels weird to present the worst of ourselves to God. But that's what he's saying. You, you, you need to honestly exp- express what's raw and real to him. Because whatever, whatever you keep inside, whatever you stuff and try to deny or not acknowledge will retain its power over you. Sometimes we feel like if we speak something, it gives it power. No. If we stuff something that and deny something and avoid something, that gives those emotions power. We're not supposed to stuff inside. We're not supposed to spew it to one another. What Paul says is you need to speak it to God. When you speak your feelings to God, they start to lose their power, their grip on your hearts and on your, your minds. This, David did this all the time in the Psalms. Over and over again, you hear the sort of things he says to God and, and you wonder, some of us have, have read that and wondered, can you actually say stuff like that to God? And you see him just being real, laying it out there like, like it really is. And, and, and here's the point. You can't heal if you won't get real. You can't heal if you won't get real. You won't overcome what you will not, what you won't acknowledge, and what you won't present to God. In, or, in other words, what Paul is saying is to prevent worry, you've got to present your worry to God. To prevent fear in your life, you've got to present your fear. To, to prevent Doubt, you've got to present your doubt to God. Honestly, that's the only way. Speak your feelings to God. And when we present them to God, they start to lose their, their grip. So do you do this kind of in your prayer life? Like, do you just get really honest about the way you feel? Or do you feel like somehow you've got to push it back, you've got to not acknowledge it, you've got to cover that up? Maybe you've got to lie to yourself or lie to God. I mean, he already knows exactly how we feel. Exactly. He wants us to express that to him. Okay? Don't be anxious, but present yourself to God. So number C, speak your feelings to God. You won't heal if you won't get real. Fourthly, and, and finally, D, right, D, Think on Christ's truth. Think on Christ's truth. Verse 8. Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So what's the command there, the fourth command? It's to think about things that are good, praiseworthy, and true. What, what are those things? Is, is Paul just saying, um, he's talking about the value of just positive thinking? Just think positively. 
There's all sorts of positive thinking techniques out there, and maybe they're kind of helpful, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying just think of positive things, and he's not just saying, and just go to your happy place. Whatever your happy place is, close your eyes and go there. Lay in that hammock on that beach. Go to your happy place. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying fix your mind and your focus on things that are worthy of your praise and, are, and, and things that are true. And I think what he has in mind here, the, the truth and the promises of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that is more true, more admirable, more lovely, and more praiseworthy and more trustworthy than the truth and the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. In fact, at the end of verse seven, he he has just talked about how we are to find peace in Christ. Look at that, verse seven. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? that, that, That we will find peace in our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And those, those are key words there. Um, what he's saying is that true peace th- that, that, that can be real in any situation, true peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. We see in uh, the book of 2 uh, Corinthians, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but in him, that is in Jesus, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Christ, we, uh, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Do you hear what he's saying? He's he's saying Jesus is God's yes to us. Every promise that God has ever made is is, is confirmed, is yes in Jesus Christ. That God is with us, that he is for us, that he will not abandon us, that he will give us everything that we need, that he will give us a good hope and a future, that, that there is eternal life that lies ahead for us. All of these Truths and promises are confirmed, are declared yes in Jesus Christ. And so if we, in other words, if we have faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we have confessed our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he is the guarantee of all of these things, of all of these good things and promises and truths that make all the difference for us in every situation. Jesus is God's yes to you. And because of that, Paul says, we can speak the amen to God. What does the word amen mean? I mean, you say it at the end of every prayer. What does it mean? The word amen is just the Greek word that means yes, truly. It is so. I believe it with all my heart. Right? So, so in other words, we can speak the amen to God. We can find this confidence and rest in our minds and in our spirits that, that, that guards us against worry and fear because of Jesus, because God has said yes to us in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says, God of peace, which, the, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I think that's what Paul has in mind when he says, think about these things that are praiseworthy and trustworthy and lovely and true and good. Isaiah 26 or th- uh, verse three says, you will keep in perfect peace, God, those whose minds are steadfast 
those who trust in you. Trust in the Lord, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. He is unfailing. He is unshakable. He is unchanging. That is our God in Jesus Christ. Um, And if we are steadfast, fixing our focus on the truths and the promises of Jesus Christ, if we are steadfast in our minds, focusing on that, we will have experienced this peace that transcends understanding. This is the promise of God. Think on Christ's truth and his promises. Fix our focus on that. You know, you've got that story of Peter walking on the way. He gets out of the boat. Initially, he has faith and and that he's gonna walk on the water like Jesus. And then, you know, there's wind and there's waves and it's a storm and he's scared and he takes his focus off of Jesus and he looks at the wind and the waves and the storm and he starts to doubt and he starts to sink. And Jesus says, why did you lack faith? And he pulls him up. He says, I mean, what Jesus is saying is, don't fix your focus on the storm. Fix your focus on me. Okay? And, and, you know, we need to do that continually, church. It's not like we did that once, like learning to ride a bike. When, once you know how to do it, you just automatically do it. We need to constantly be reorienting our focus onto Jesus Christ, on the truth and the promises of him that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so here Paul gives us the recipe that, that will lead to peace. Rest, rejoice through every situation. E, express thanksgiving. S, speak our feelings to God. And T, think about the truth of Christ. If we do these four things, Paul says, that will result in this peace. Okay, and, and then what we find at the very end, number three, is that peace is a person. Paul is saying it's a promise, it's a process, but ultimately peace is a person. Paul will say to the Colossians, I mean, if you just turned one page from Philippians chapter four, you'd probably find yourself in Colossians chapter two, where Paul says in verse 16 and 17, um, he says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are just a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He says, some people want to know, what's the Sabbath? Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? Is it sunrise? The sunset? Like, what do you got to do? He's saying the Sabbath is not a day. It's not an activity or a lack of activity. Jesus is is the Sabbath. Jesus is rest. Peace and rest have found their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you know peace. If you have Jesus in your life, you have rest. Peace is a person. And so Jesus will say, um, In the Gospel of John, John 14, verse 27, to his followers, just before he goes to the cross, and they're going to face all sorts of hard things in the world. Jesus says, John 14, uh, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm going to give you my peace, Jesus says, and it's a different kind of peace than the world gives. What what, what sort of peace does the world offer? Well, that sort of peace is contingent on your circumstances and material things, okay? 
The peace that we have in Jesus Christ is not a set of circumstances to inhabit. It's not a technique to master. Peace is a person to know. Jesus says, I'm going to give you my peace so that no matter what you face, you will, not have to, you will not need to be troubled. You will not need to be afraid. I am peace. If you have me, you can have peace in all things. This peace is a spiritual peace. It's not situational. It's not material. This is a spiritual peace. It's not the absence of danger. It's the presence of God through Christ Jesus. Okay? Peace is the presence of Jesus in our lives. So if you know Jesus, I mean, you have access to this limitless store of of peace and rest. You need to be reminded of that. Whatever you're going through right now, if you have Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior, he is God's yes to you. And therefore you today, right now, no matter what you're going through, you can speak the amen to God. Yes, truly it is so. I have confidence in this. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. And, and communion, of course, uh, as we take this bread and this cup, it, what it does is it's just telling the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Um, it's kind of a, a dramatizing of Jesus dying on the cross. And, and, and in his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood, um, him laying down his life for our sin as a penalty for our sin, to secure the forgiveness of God for our sin, to bring us into right relationship with God again, to restore what had been broken, to give us uh, the gift of eternal life. Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection has made a way for us to enter into a restored relationship with God uh, that frees us from fear frees us from anxiety, gives us this peace that transcends all understanding. That's what the cup and the bread that we're going to take in a moment represent. What Jesus has done for us and what that secures for us. So, so maybe you're watching right now and, and you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, I, I don't know what your relationship with God is. Have you ever um, put your trust in Jesus Christ? as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever recognized your need of God's mercy and grace, believed in what Jesus has done for you, and received that gift of life, that gift of peace that comes when we give our lives to Jesus Christ through faith in him? That's something that you can do right now. You can pray and, 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 and profess your belief in Jesus and ask for God to forgive your sins and invite Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Savior and you can receive that peace that transcends all understanding today and if you want to know any more about that then please reach out call send an email we'd love to talk with you about how you can experience that sort of peace in your life we're going to take communion here in a moment uh, and then we're going to sing a final song what a beautiful name it is. It's all about Jesus. And as we're singing that song, what a beautiful name it is. How powerful, lovely is the name of Jesus. Just think of all that is yours because of what he's done for you, what he is for you today. And let's celebrate that together. And then after that final song, a little bit different than what we've done in the past, you're gonna see just a screen and it's gonna have a few discussion questions, three questions there. What I would just invite you to do, maybe you're watching this with your family uh, uh, or, or maybe with a group of others. And even if you're just 
all on your own, you can ponder these questions and this can be a conversation with God. But what I'd invite you to do is when you see those questions on your screen, just pause there and take some time to, to ponder and to discuss those questions together. You're gonna see these questions. What is your greatest worry today? What is your greatest worry today? Number two, what promise of Christ do, do you find peace in? Can you find peace in today? And number three, how can you put peace into practice this week? You know, as we've looked at this recipe, this process that Paul has, has laid out here, rest, R-E-S-T, hopefully you wrote it down. Um, how can you put that into practice? What's one step you can take to put that into practice this week? Because that's how Paul ends there, Philippians 4, verse 9. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. How can you put this into practice this week? So when you see those questions, just pause, ponder, discuss, pray about that. All right, it's time to take communion together. Um, So hopefully you have some bread, some drink with you. Um, In some Christian traditions, they don't use the word communion for what we're about to do. They might call it a Eucharist. That word Eucharist is actually a word that we had in our text here that we looked at this morning. Eucharist is just the Greek word for thanksgiving. So, so when we do this, this is an act of thanksgiving when we remember and, and all that Jesus has done for us by giving us his, laying down his life on the cross. Um, and so th- this is an act of thanksgiving and, and celebration. So let's be mindful as we do this of all that this means for us today. So to grab that piece of bread. Jesus... Um, When he was around the table with his disciples at Last Supper, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat this together, remember my love for you. Remember what I've done for you. Let's eat together. Then Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink this cup together, remember my love for you. Remember what I've done for you. Let's drink together. Join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you today May 31st, 2020, or whatever day it is that people are watching this, we thank you today that you are still uh, sovereign over all that's happening in the world, over our lives. You are in control. This pandemic, any of, the, any of the things we're facing are not outside of your control. We thank you, God, that in your love for us, in your wisdom, you are working all of these things for, uh, you're working all these things for our good. We just, we just submit ourselves to you for all your purposes to us for us in, in this time, Lord. Whatever this pandemic has stirred up and we see in the water of our lives, Lord, just show us um, what idols we need to cast out of our lives, what weaknesses that we need to uh, address, what, what distractions we need to turn from, um, what, what priorities we need to rearrange. God, just, just show us 
what it is your, your purpose for us might be in this time. And again, we just rejoice in, in the reality that you are working all these things for good. We say, God, that we trust you. We trust you. You are trustworthy. We know that because you've given us your son, Jesus, you're not going to withhold from us anything that we need to do your will now or, or any time. And so God, just, I, I just pray that your peace would just fill us right now, Lord. Um, uh, that your peace would come and just be a guard for our hearts and our minds and whatever it is that we're facing. We just cast our anxieties, we cast our worries, we cast our fears at your feet and we just receive and pick up your peace, your rest as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, um, before we sing this final song, uh, let's just read this be the church statement that, that we normally read at the end of our services. You've been to church, kind of. Now it's time to go be the church in your world, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, uh, in your workplaces. Wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. You are the church. So why don't you join me uh, in reading the all caps. We are the church. So wherever you go, Christ goes. If someone asks, what is your church like? Let's tell them, I am what my church is like. If someone asks, what does your church do? Let's tell them, I am doing what my church does. We are the church. And we may be the only contact that someone has with Jesus this week. So though they may not yet belong to the church, we can bring the church to them.